Acts chapter 20, and this morning we want to pick up where we left off there in verse 17, and we're going to go down through verse 27 together, and as we do, would you stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read the scripture? It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know... From the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And Father, we humbly ask just for the help and grace of your Holy Spirit once again as we continue on our worship now. By opening the word of God and being, Lord, just willing and and desirous to hear what the voice of your spirit would say to us from this portion of the scripture that we look at together this morning. Lord, may everything that your spirit spoke be exactly the intent and what we would hear for our hearts this morning. We ask you to bless your word and speak to us now by the power and the ministry of your spirit. And we look for you to do that expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, the word influence is defined as the capability to have an effect on character, development, and behavior of someone or something. Let me read that again. Influence is the capability to have an effect on character, development, and behavior of someone or something. And how wonderful it is when a person can have spiritual influence by their Christian service. When I think of people in the scripture, certainly Paul the Apostle, who's describing here his life and ministry among the leaders in the church of Ephesus, Paul indeed was a man as well as a leader who had great spiritual influence. Certainly, he had incredible impact and influence on the lives of others. And I think to some degree that the Lord wants the lives of each and every one of us as his followers to have some degree of spiritual influence, whether it's through our Christian service in some capacity or whether it is in some capacity that we have of leadership. Again, whether that's leading one individual as a married man and trying to be a leader in your marriage or a father trying to be a leader in your home or a mother trying to provide leadership and guidance to your children or whether it's leadership with three or five people or whether it's leadership with 300 people or 500 people that we would seek to let our lives be of godly influence upon others through some form of Christian service and leadership we can all have spiritual effect upon the development of other people in the things of God and as we look at this section this morning that's what our text is addressing it gives to us really some valuable insights on Christian service some valuable insights on spiritual leadership. And all of us, to some degree, the Bible tells us, are are intended to be ministers of the new covenant. Uh, Ministers in the sense of those who are servants, who let our lives be used by Jesus as his spirit works through us. And we get incredible insights from the Apostle Paul here on Christian service, effective Christian service, on spiritual leadership. The background, remember, Paul's on the last leg 
of his ministry uh, journey, the third ministry journey, and he's gone back, as he did in others, and revisited some of the churches again, doing follow-up ministry. And he said that he then intended, as he felt God was leading him, to then go to Jerusalem. But ultimately, he felt that he wanted to get to the place of Rome. And we're following Paul now. We saw in kind of this travel log at the beginning of chapter 20 last time as Paul is kind of tracking south along the coast as he's coming down along the coastline, stopping at different areas. And we left off with Paul landing and remaining in the area of Miletus. And Miletus was about 20, 30 miles approximately from the area of Ephesus. And remember, Ephesus was that place where Paul spent more of his ministry time in that we know of in the book of Acts than any other place that he ministered. He spent at least three years there, and his ministry was so impactful there, so influential. It says from there, the word of the Lord then spread all around the whole region of Asia Minor as the result of the influence of Paul's ministry there. The last verse that we read, look with me again, if you would, in verse 16 from last week, it says, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. So again, we talked about how Paul having had so many bonds in Ephesus after all those years of ministry and really the whole region of Asia Minor, he purposely didn't go back to the city of Ephesus. He kind of bypassed Ephesus and went around it and went to Miletus because he knew he would just get preoccupied in Ephesus and he really felt that by Pentecost, the Lord wanted him to be in the region of Jerusalem by that time. So not wanting to get preoccupied, he goes past Ephesus, stops at Miletus, But it appears it's on Paul's heart to further invest into the leadership in the church in Ephesus, as well as probably the leadership of other churches around Asia Minor that had sprung up as well. And so we find Paul here now in the remainder of chapter 20, you might say kind of hosting an ancient version of what we might call today a leadership conference or a Christian workers retreat. Uh, A time when he would assemble together with people and talk about what it means to serve the Lord. Paul wants to further equip and strengthen the leaders in the church and using his own example as a way to give further insights into Christian service. Referring to his own life and things they had learned from him, he wants to share a few final thoughts to kind of further train them, to let them be as equipped as possible to be effective in their Christian service and in their leadership. Look with me in verse 17. It tells us that from Miletus, where Paul was, he sent, it says, to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So here we see Paul extending an invitation. He sends word over to Ephesus and it says that he gives an invite now for the leaders to come assemble with him. Now, as I said, Miletus is about 30 miles away from Ephesus. So Paul sends word over to them and he invites them to come for a gathering time. It says he calls for the elders of the church to come assemble with him. Now, the term elder, when we see it in the New Testament, is a New Testament title that references a spiritual leader among the congregation of God's people. It's one of a few titles, elder, overseer, pastor. A lot of these terms are used synonymously to refer to those who are spiritually called and chosen by God for that role and anointed by the Holy Spirit specifically with giftings and enablement to be able to provide spiritual leadership to the congregation of God's people that provide oversight and care and guidance to the spiritual well-being of the local church, to God's flock, to the people that he's called to serve him. And under the authority of Jesus, who is the head of the church and the chief shepherd, the Bible says, and the overseer of our souls, those who are elders and pastors in that role and calling basically function as under shepherds under the authority of Jesus, ultimately receiving direction from him and then implementing that direction and care and guidance to the flock of God lovingly through a ministry of things like prayer, 
for God's people, prayer together with God's people, praying for them through a ministry of the teaching of the word of God, whether through instruction or whether through counseling or whether through conversations through a ministry of just general oversight and and kind of decision making as is necessary the spiritual leader the elder provides spiritual guidance and looks out for the welfare of god's people to help them experience god's ideal and god's will by feeding the flock of god protecting them taking care of what needs to be addressed with them in their hard times together with them navigating things helping them and just being that shepherd to those who are part of the flock of the lord to lead them through the valleys and to lead them into the green pastures this is the role of the spiritual leader and paul knowing that healthy and strong spiritual leadership is essential to a healthy flock to a healthy church Paul now, before he moves on, it says he calls, verse 17, for the elders to travel this 30 miles to come over to Miletus where he was. So he extends this invitation, as I said, kind of hosting a leadership conference. He sends an invitation and says, look, come over. And Paul's heart is he kind of wants to have a, a, an informal ministry conference to just do what he can to invest further to train and equip those who are serving others to help them be more influential in their Christian service. Notice what verse 18 says in the beginning of it as this invitation went out. Take notice verse 18. It says, and when they had come to him, that's to Paul, he then said to them. So take notice. First thing I want to draw your attention to is we see these spiritual leaders who are invited to come spend time with Paul. We see here in verse 18 that they embraced the invitation and they made the journey to come participate in the gathering. They could have easily declined. But it says at the beginning of verse 18, when they had come to him. That is, they heard the invitation, they understood what Paul wanted to do, and they made that 30-mile journey because, again, they loved Paul. They respected him. They wanted to learn everything they could to be useful to the Lord. So they came and made the inconvenient, and it was, 30-mile journey from Ephesus over to Miletus. Again, we have to understand we're talking about a day when there were no cars, there were no highways, you know, 30 miles. What's 30 miles? Well, there are no cars. There are no highways. There are no buses or public transportation or subways and so forth. So a 30-mile journey was a substantial trip in that culture. Whether via foot or via sea, skirting up along the coast, it was a journey that required some sacrifice. It required some time. They had to take time away from what they were doing, their job, their family, whatever. And, and it required sacrifice for them to embrace this invitation. Yet these men being servants of the Lord, wanting to be influential, they made the sacrifice. They did what was inconvenient to go and to learn further. It reveals a character trait of these men as servants, I think. And you might say, and again, no pun intended here, but that they were willing to go the extra mile in the things of the Lord. They were willing to go the extra mile and make what sacrifices were required personally for the things of God. And here I think we see a quality that is important if any of us want to have a life of spiritual influence. If you want to have a life of spiritual influence, then understand it requires being willing to go the extra mile. To be willing to go the extra mile in the things of God, to make some personal sacrifices, to be willing to do above and beyond what it takes just for you to walk with Jesus and to keep yourself spiritually healthy and fruitful. And, and that's enough of a challenge as it is sometimes, isn't it? Just having your own devotions every day and staying consistent and attending church and just keeping your nose out of sin and walking in a righteous way. That's enough of a challenge. But if we want to be influential for the Lord and influential upon others for the things of God, then honestly, we need to possess a willingness to go the extra mile, to, to take the extra journey, to be willing to maybe make some sacrifices and have a servant-hearted attitude, to be willing to be inconvenienced, to do things like come early or stay late. 
or go to things that others typically wouldn't or, you know, be willing to do things that others would just ignore and walk by and pass on and, and be willing to engage in things that need to be taken care of, to put in a little extra effort, if you would, to do the things that most people wouldn't do and only a few people are willing to do, to kind of put in the willingness to go the extra mile, to not just do enough, but to go beyond that. To go beyond just doing enough and do a little bit of extra, to sacrifice, to give of yourself in order to be able to help others. It's an essential thing if you want to have influence. If you want to have influence, you have to be willing to make some sacrifices, even as these men do here, to come spend this time with Paul. Well, at this point, Paul now begins to address, as we see verse 18, these spiritual leaders. And notice he's going to refer to his own life as an example for them to be able to glean and learn from, to instruct them to aspire towards what he had set for them as kind of a pattern. It says in verse 18, Paul said to them when they came and assembled, first thing out of his mouth, you know, he says, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Notice here in verse 18, the first effort of spiritual influence Paul made when he came into that community among that group of people was to utilize the power of example, the power of example. That is the example of the way that he lived, the pattern of his life to encourage others. You see what he says in the text of verse 18? He says, you know in what manner I always lived among you. He doesn't say, you remember the great sermons that I preached to you. That's not what he says first. He says, when I showed up on the first day, before I could even start preaching to you, I needed to, to live right among you. I needed to demonstrate to you who I was and my character to develop credibility and some willingness to be heard. You know, there's a valuable thing a lot of times that we tend to overlook to realize that until people see some measure of credibility, they may not be too interested in hearing all the greatest sermons we would want to preach. But there's something very valuable, something very crucial about our manner of living. And Paul said, my first goal was to make sure that I lived among you in a way where people would gain respect from me. And they would be willing to listen to me and to want to receive that which I would teach or I would share. This manner of living speaks of his way of life. That is what he did do and the things that he didn't do. It spoke of his priorities, his lifestyle, his convictions that people could see, the, the standards that he held as a man, the convictions that he exercised as a minister of the gospel and how he conducted himself and his lifestyle. That was demonstrated among them in a way that spoke to them very strongly. And Paul understood the value of teaching and influence via example. And I want to say this morning, spiritual leaders are supposed to set an example by their Christian service. That is biblical. It is biblical that those who are going to lead spiritually lead first by example, not live however they want to live and then think that all their responsibility is is just to be a talking head that keeps everybody entertained behind a wooden box once or twice a week. They're to lead by example. In John chapter 13, Jesus, remember, he humbly served washing the disciples' feet. And then he said, I have given you an example that you should now do as I have done. What did Jesus do? Humble servanthood. And he said, I did that as an example. That was a sermon for you, he said. Without having to say a word, it was a silent sermon. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 regarding elders, again, spiritual leaders. It says elders, 1 Peter 5, are to be examples to the flock. And simply being a good example, folks, I tell you, it's one of the most effective forms that we can all utilize of positive influence. You want to influence some people? You want to influence your children? You want to influence people in your family, in your job, in your school, around you? You want to be an influence? One of the most effective ways to have influence is be an example. Be a good, solid, godly example that often speaks way more loudly than any words because it shows what's authentic and it gives people a model to aspire to, a pattern to want to follow to say, I want to live like that. 
I, I, I want to conduct myself like that. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 2, even as a young man, he said to be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love and in spirit and in faith and in purity. So Paul says, you remember how I lived among you. The way that I lived amongst you, he says, recall that, pay attention to that pattern, he says. Then verse 19, going on, he specifically calls attention now to some of what they saw as he lived among them. Verse 19, he begins by saying, how I was serving the Lord, he says, with all humility. Notice, Paul's life and his ministry was characterized by humble servanthood just like the Lord. The first thing Paul calls attention to here as he talked about his manner of life is how Paul was just a servant at heart. He says there in verse 19, look at it. He says, he says, you know, again, you're acquainted with how I was serving among you, how I was serving among you. One of the evident virtues and the marks of Paul's life is this guy was always serving. Every time you found him, if he wasn't speaking, he was serving. If he wasn't praying with somebody, he was serving. He just, there was something about Paul's life that was a clear characteristic that people could take note of is they recognize this guy's always serving. He's always just taking care of things or doing something or helping in some practical way. He was just a man inclined towards doing tasks and duties to make things best for others. That word serve that Paul used there is doulos. It's the term that speaks of the willing bond servant, not a slave but someone who willingly embraced servanthood for the sake of pleasing his master and benefiting others. And a servant in any context is basically someone who lives and works to make the lives of other people better. That's what a servant does. A servant performs tasks for others. They accomplish duties and do things that basically eliminate others from having to do those things to basically bless and minister to other people. That's what a servant does. That's what a servant does. They responsibly say, hey, I'm going to care for the needs of others, wait on people, do things for people, address tasks so that others won't have to do those things and and I'll do it to make things better for them. That's what a servant does. And Jesus, was he not in his life and ministry above many other things known for and characterized by what? Being a humble servant. That's what Jesus was recognized for. People realized, and again, who was Jesus? He was God. He was the most important person walking on the planet. He created the planet. And here's the most important individual with incredible authority. And Jesus was a tremendous servant. And Paul, I think, just yielded to the heart of Jesus. The New Testament teaches that when we're a Christian, the spirit of Christ indwells us. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, the New Testament teaches really that Christianity is just allowing Jesus to live out his life now through our body, to let him use our feet to go where he wants and our hands to do what he wants to do and our mouths to say what he wants to say and our eyes to see what he wants to see. And now Jesus isn't here in the flesh, but in the spirit, he dwells among and dwells within all Christians. And he says, now I want to use your physical body as the body of Christ to do things. And so Paul just yielded to letting Jesus use him and the spirit of Christ should direct all of us to being servant hearted, just like our Lord. Jesus said this, whoever desires to become great among you, let him, the one that wants to be great, be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see what Jesus said in his own testament of himself? He said, I came into this earth and he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That was the mentality of our Lord Jesus. Now, if there was anybody that deserved to be served, (laughs) would you agree it was Jesus? If there was anybody who said, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm, I'm God. I'm the savior of the world. I expect some people to serve me, but Jesus said, I didn't come looking to be served. I didn't come wanting to be served. I came to serve, to give of myself and to serve others. And really that should be our heart as the spirit of Christ works within us. And I want to say this morning, again, if you want to be a person of influence, 
then be a person who desires to have a servant-hearted attitude and someone who is willing to seek to be a servant. You want to be influential? Seek to be a servant because a lot of people don't want to be servants. People love to be served, but it's a rare thing to find people who want to just be servants, just humble servants. Find ways to serve and you'll be very influential for the Lord. Notice Paul didn't just serve, but he had a right perspective and motive about service too because verse 19, Paul says that he was, notice, serving the Lord. Underline that, serving the Lord. In other words, what Paul understood about serving is though he served people practically and he did things to care for people and to help people, he did tasks and duties that benefited people and that were for people, but ultimately he knew that who he served first and foremost was his master. It was the Lord. He says, I was serving the Lord. Yes, I serve people, but I did it to serve the Lord first and foremost. And this is an important thing to have that perspective of gratefully fulfilling assignments and serving for the sake of your Lord, your master, doing it for your master. That makes all the difference in the world, doing tasks and duties to please the Lord. Because I can tell you this, just serving people is never going to be sufficient long term for any one of us. We'll lose stamina real quick. Because people aren't always appreciative and they don't always acknowledge it. We don't always get recognized. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you serve people and people bite the hand that feeds them. We all know this, whether it's in our job or in our family. So if we're just serving for the sake of people alone because we want to please people or be noticed or, you know, get some, you know, recognition for it or even just out of love, we're just trying to serve people. The stamina in doing that will wear out real quick, real quick. But if you're serving the Lord, that will always, you'll find, give you reason to keep doing it because you're doing it for the Lord. So I'm serving these individuals or I'm serving in this way, but I'm doing it for the Lord first and foremost. That'll give you stamina to carry on. And it will also influence the quality of how you serve. Because see, if you're just serving people, your flesh will find more ways to cut corners and slack off and kind of get lazy with what you, but if you're serving the Lord, and your quality control manager is Jesus, you're going to give your best to it because you're doing it for the Lord. So whatever you do in any capacity, if you do it for the Lord, you'll do it well. Paul's attitude and disposition as a man and minister as well, he says he served the Lord. I love the last part he says, with all humility. That was Paul's disposition. He was a servant, but he was a servant with humility, even as Jesus had great authority. And yet he said of himself that he was meek and lowly and humble at heart. Paul, though possessing spiritual authority from the Lord, served with humility. And can I ask, what does that look like? What does it look like to serve with humility? Well, it indicates that Paul didn't think he was someone special. He didn't think he was somebody superior or important or that people should be impressed with him. He didn't seek to be honored as special or treated as superior with extra perks. Paul didn't have a celebrity mentality where people would kind of give him the celebrity treatment or recognize him as someone like a celebrity. He wasn't doing things to be noticed or seek attention. He wasn't looking for admiration or people's approval or applause. Paul wasn't arrogant in attitude. You don't see Paul just kind of being arrogant and demanding and harsh in the way he treats people as if kind of people are just whatever. I mean, just if you just get out of the way, then we'll get some more people. You don't see that attitude in Paul's heart. You don't see Paul looking at people as unessential because he's got something to accomplish. Instead, you see Paul as somebody who had a humble spirit an attitude of humility. And he was an individual when you look at him in the word of God who was willing to just do anything. We're going to see in Acts chapter 28, they get shipwrecked, they go onto an island, and when they get on this island, they're cold, they're wet, they're miserable, and where's Paul at? He's out picking up sticks for a fire. Now, Paul could have said, look, somebody get me my slippers, I'm the captain, who's our stick picker-upper? Paul went and picked up, said, we need a fire. He just goes and starts picking up sticks and, and, and just practical tasks. There was nothing he saw himself above doing. He was a humble, servant-hearted individual, and he performed any duty. He lived and served just like everyone else, and I think it made him easy to be around. And I think it's what made Paul, honestly, 
allowed him to be the, such a useful and influential servant of the Lord because the Lord loves to bless and empower where he sees humility. The Bible tells us God opposes or resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is a crucial component in fruitful service for the Lord because it keeps you and I usable. It's what keeps us usable. And pride is something where we may continue to have the position and we may continue to perform our role, but pride will real quickly start to diminish your usefulness from God's perspective. There's something about humility in servanthood that is something very attractive to God and it is something I believe that's very attractive to people. Very attractive to people. You know, they did a survey not too long ago where they asked what was the most important characteristic in people for their minister or pastor at their church. You might think it'd be, well, great preaching or a good administrator or keeps people awake on Sunday mornings. I mean, all these things. Do you know what it was? People said humility. That's what people said they wanted more than anything else. Humility. Very insightful. And Jesus was a humble servant. Paul recognized there's something that makes people receptive to you when you're humble. And look, I want to encourage all of us as the Lord lets us serve in different capacities. If we want to stay influential, then we have to stay humble. We have to serve with humility because there's something about that disposition that lets us be very influential. Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility. Verse 19, he says, and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Notice Paul alludes here to two things. First of all, his great love and concern for people. He says, I serve the Lord and there were many tears. And I think that refers to Paul's loving care and concern for people. You know, Paul, by nature, when you look at his life and his disposition, Paul, I mean, this guy had some spiritual grit and Paul was just a type of individual. It didn't, you know, it didn't, uh, you know, mean much to him to do whatever it took to just keep the train on the tracks. And he was just kind of a, you know, very resolute individual, kept marching forward loaded on his back like an ox just pulled in the plow and this guy just kept things moving forward. He was very faithful. He was very resolute in what needed to be done for the kingdom of God. He wasn't easily deterred. But I think sometimes Paul gets a bad rap therefore in the New Testament, kind of like that maybe he was a little bit cold because he was so resolute and just so determined and driven in the personality and temperament that God had given to him, I think sometimes give the impression people do that, that Paul was almost kind of uncaring. And I don't necessarily think that was the case. I don't know if Paul necessarily was the most hyper-sentimental individual, but I think Paul felt things very deeply. No one without a deep love and a deep care could make the sacrifices and be as driven and as effective as he was for the Lord. Paul felt things very deeply. It may not have been super sentimental, but he had a great love. He says here, there were times I was moved to tears when it was appropriate, when I felt things very deeply, the griefs, the sorrows of people. And he says, more than that, I also experienced the trials, he said, often that happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And also Paul experienced a lot of challenges and difficulties. I mean, that goes without saying. We've been seeing in the book of Acts all the challenges in different ways, the opposition, the mistreatment, the persecution, all these things that Paul went through. But he just reminds us, in order to be useful for the Lord, these are two things that are important as well. If I want to be influential for the Lord, like Paul, I got to have a love for people. And I got to have the Lord's heart for people. And more than that, I also, like Paul, who went through his fair share of trials, if we want to be influential for the Lord, there's going to be spiritual resistance. And the devil is going to do things to cause conflict and trials and mistreatment from people. And you got to be willing to stay the course. You got to be willing to march on and to push forward and to soldier through even if you're mistreated or challenges come because look, it's a, this is an important spiritual battle. And so Paul said, yeah, it was hard at times, but he says, I had to keep marching on because there's something of importance. People matter. Paul says, verse 20, how I also kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, he says, and taught you publicly and from house to house. So now Paul begins to draw attention to how he repeatedly and routinely invested in the lives of others. 
And notice all the godly instruction that he possibly could. I love that statement Paul makes in verse 20. It's always been a favor to me where he says how I kept back nothing that was helpful. He's referring to his teaching and to his counseling and his ministry of instruction. If Paul thought a particular lesson or something was profitable to people was something they needed to hear, then Paul said, I didn't keep back anything that I thought would be helpful. Paul says, if I, if I deem that sharing this or teaching on that or talking to that person about this or giving counseling in this situation is helpful and it's what they need to hear, then Paul says, I didn't keep it back. I didn't restrain. I didn't hold back just because maybe it was hard to talk about or it was a difficult subject to teach or it was a hard matter to address in that person's life. Paul says, no, no, no. He says, even if it's hard, we may at times be tempted, right, to hold back and refrain. And we're human. We all do that. Nobody likes talking about something that's hard to talk about, right? Whether it's giving a teaching or whether it's having a conversation or offering some counsel. And, and a lot of times when it's hard to address something or it's a difficult subject or maybe it's going to be kind of you know, awkward to have to you know, kind of confront a situation and a person may not like what's being said to them, we're tempted to want to keep back what we should say. And it would be helpful to say it, but we, we keep it back because it's hard to address it. And Paul says, no, I'm determined if it's helpful, I'm going to share it. If it is helpful, then I'm going to say what God once said. And sometimes this is important for all of us, whether teaching or counseling. You know, again, the reason Paul had that attitude was basically this, is Paul's first priority was not to be liked. It was to help people spiritually. You know, any one of us who's a parent certainly need to come to terms with that reality with our children. I'm not interested in whether or not you like me. I'm your father. You'll like me when you're about 18, 20, 24, 30, and you go, thank you so much for sparing me all that you did and helping me. But why I'm raising you? I'm your dad. I want you to love me. I want to have a relationship with you. But my first goal isn't to be your buddy. Amen. You can have buddies. I'm your dad. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold back anything that's helpful. I want to train you and develop you and teach you and speak into your life. And, and we need that same mentality to speak what God once said. What great insight. Folks, don't hold back something if it's helpful. If it's helpful, talk to people. If it's helpful, say it. If it's something that needs to be uh, for their welfare to profit them, don't hold back anything that's helpful. I love Paul's heart there. What a great, great insight he gives us in leadership and Christian service. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but he says, I proclaimed it. He says, and taught it to you publicly and from house to house. Notice, because he didn't want to hold back anything helpful, that influenced when and where Paul was willing to teach and give Bible studies. He says, I taught you both publicly. That's the idea. There's large group meetings in the temple, in the synagogue services, in church services, with bigger groups, if you would, in a more formal capacity, a scheduled worship meeting. Paul says, yeah, I taught publicly, but he says, I also taught house to house. That is with a small group, with an informal meeting, with home Bible studies, with a few people, just a handful. Paul was willing to teach in any setting, any setting, whether it was on a stage or the, whether it was sitting in a living room with just a few people. Listen, is it a privilege to get to stand on a platform on a Sunday morning and share the word of God? Yeah, but it's just as much a privilege on Friday evenings to sit sometimes with seven or five or two young adults and do a Friday night Bible study that I do with young people. And both matter. Both matter. Publicly, informally. Crowds, three individuals. And if you want to share what's helpful, take advantage of every opportunity. Great wisdom, the genuine heart Paul had, the desire to influence people. These are the things that can often have the greatest influence. And I'll tell you, sometimes the greatest influential things don't happen publicly. They happen in those smaller private settings. Some of Jesus' most pertinent conversations, John 3, John 4, where he said things that we all remember and love. He was having a conversation with one person, one person. So important. You can be very influential a lot of times just with one-on-one -on -one 
ministry. And Paul reminds how he sought to be faithful. Verse 21, he says, I was testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter who Paul spoke to, he shared a full gospel message. Notice that was doctrinally sound. Paul says, whether I was talking to the Jews or talking to the Gentiles, I did not ever compromise the message. And particularly verse 21, there is a good description of the fundamental message of the gospel. And what was the true gospel? Repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the understanding that we need to repent to have a change of heart that leads to a change of how we in our behavior relate to God. That is, we recognize I am a guilty sinner. I've offended God by the way that I've lived independently doing wrong things all of my life and I've been a rebel and I have an error in my account before God. I'm guilty and I need to recognize I'm guilty before God. And God is going to hold me accountable for my sin. And I have to be willing to turn away from that sinful, self-governed way of life and realize I can't just be religious. I can't just clean up my act. Now I need to repent and turn away from sin and self-governed or religious living and repent toward God, turn to God. Jesus said in some of his first statements, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Paul said, we also must exercise faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we turn away from sin and we turn toward God. And how do we turn towards God? By putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we realize believing who Jesus is and why he was sent to us by the Father in heaven, that he came to die for our sins, to take the punishment for our sins. And that Jesus rose from the dead so that he could be the living Savior that at any given moment, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be forgiven of their sin and can have the gift of eternal life. And that we have to exercise our faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ saying, Jesus, I can't solve my problem with sin. I can't reconcile the issue of my eternal destiny by religious behavior. Jesus, I believe in my faith that only you can save me, that only you can forgive my sin, that only you can give me the gift of eternal life. Paul's going to say at the end of verse 24 that it was the good news or gospel of the grace of God, freely given, freely given to anyone and to everyone. And the fact that Paul would not compromise the message, whether talking to the Jews or the Gentiles, shows you that Paul's understanding of being influential was, you know what? I will not show partiality to anyone. I'm not going to accommodate my message for the individual standing in front of me. Paul says the message of the gospel is the message of the gospel. And it must be unequivocally shared without any partiality to any person and to relate to people in an impartial way allows us to be a lot more influential because when you start trying to compromise and make concessions you're not being genuine with people anymore we have to be impartial who we're talking to no matter who we're speaking to and share with them what god wants us to share paul says verse 22 and see now i go bound in the spirit to jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there except he said that the holy spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Notice Paul felt compelled in his spirit, in some ways as bound in the spirit, that the Lord wanted him to go to Jerusalem. Exactly what he's referring to, the one thing that's clear is he had a sense inside that the Lord was directing him by the spirit in his own heart. He said, I feel bound and obligated. I've got to obey the Lord in this. This is what the Lord wants me to do, to go to Jerusalem. Sometimes we get that strong sense within ourselves that the Lord is saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm asking you to do. And he kind of puts that burden upon us. But notice Paul says in our verses here, verse 23 says, or 22, not knowing the things that are going to be happening to me there. In other words, Paul says, I know what the Lord wants me to do, but I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. I don't know what it's all going to entail and involve. I don't have all the details on the map. I just know what the Lord wants me to do, but I don't have all the details beyond that. And I can tell you, is it not true, folks? Sometimes when the Lord directs us to do something, you don't get the full roadmap. He just kind of puts this burden on your heart. I want you to do this. And he doesn't tell you what the roadmap and all the details are going to involve. He says, I just want you to obey me. And sometimes we may not know what the future holds. To make it more challenging, Paul says, the only thing I'm getting from the Lord 
is the Holy Spirit keeps telling me every city I go to, Paul, problems are coming. Pain is coming. Change, tribulations. That would make it difficult to obey the Lord, wouldn't it? It's hard enough when you don't know the details. How much more difficult when the Lord says, I'm not telling you all the details, but I'll give you one insight. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. But look what Paul says, verse 24, this classic statement, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 24, what a great testament of Paul's words there of his own commitment to remain faithful to the Lord. That should be one of those verses in your Bible you highlight, you circle, you chew on and think through Paul's expression so worthy of meditation that he was determined Paul says yes I know it's not going to be easy yes I don't have all the details but he says I'll tell you this none of these things move me in other words they don't deter me I won't let them stop me I won't let them hold me back or keep me from finishing the course God has given to me Paul was resolute in his dedication to fulfill the Lord's purposes. He didn't consider his own personal life more valuable than living out what the Lord wanted him to do as a servant. Paul says there, I don't count my life dear to myself. That is his personal desires. He pictured his life, notice, like a, like a race. And races aren't always easy to run, right? You get cramps. You don't feel too good. It's difficult. You're tired. You're weary. You're discouraged because you're not doing as good as maybe you thought you'd do. And so your expectations are letting you down in the race. But Paul says, but I didn't just start the race. He says, I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to finish the race the Lord's given me to run and carry it out to completion despite the challenges. Hey, this morning, can I ask you, what moves you? What moves you? What deters you and holds you back and stops you from doing what you know the Lord wants you to do, running your race, fulfilling the ministry and calling he's giving to you, following and carrying out the assignment that the Lord has given to you as a Christian? Is it the fear of the unknown? Well, I, just, I don't know what's going to happen. And is it the fear of the unknown that stops you from following what the Lord is leading and directing you to do? Is it maybe not having the details of the future or maybe the concerns of that's going to be difficult? Oh, I don't know, that's going to be difficult. And, and so therefore that, that kind of moves you off track and it makes you kind of pull back the concern of how challenging it's going to be. Sadly, many, many people, and we see this pattern even in the word of God, they start out well, right? Many people start out well and they really want to follow the Lord and obey him and and follow out and carry to completion the Lord's calling on their life. But then sadly, many people then get moved off track. Something happens, some experiences, some situations arise, and then all of a sudden they encounter some things, whatever they may be, and it deters them. It takes them off track. They give up. They take an exit ramp. They don't carry on. They don't press forward. They don't finish the race. Sometimes it's even just the love they have for their own life. They just want the life that they want to have so bad and they feel like if that conflicts with what the Lord wants for them because they want the life they want to have, it moves them off course. And they choose the life that they want because they hold their own life too dear to themselves. May the Lord give us grace to be willing folks to give up our lives and to choose the life that the Lord wants for us. What does Jesus assign you to do? Do it well. Do it well. I think verse 24, Paul conveys a crucial element of being influential spiritually, and that's very simply this, folks. It's commitment. It's that C word in a non-committal culture that nobody, not even it seems sadly any Christians anymore, sometimes have any interest in. Commitment. Dedication. Sticking at it. Carrying on. Not turning off track. You have to be faithful. Stay at something. If you want to be influential and I want to be influential, influential experiences don't come overnight. It's not immediate. You got to oftentimes stick at things. It's a process. It takes being willing to stay the course and keep at it. And then over time, over time, like taking a sledgehammer, do a big piece of bedrock. You just keep whacking on it and whacking on it and whacking on it and whack. And eventually it starts to crack a little. 
and you start to have a little influence. But we have to be willing, like Paul, to say, I'm not going to let things move me. I want to be faithful unto the Lord. Paul says, verse 25, Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom have gone preaching the kingdom, are not going to see my face anymore. Paul sensed this would be probably the last time they saw each other. And he said, Therefore I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Notice Paul felt freed from any sense of guilt that he did not carry out what he should or any sense of guilt because he had thoroughly taught God's word with the people that he was serving there. He uses this picture of like a watchman on a wall. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. A watchman would sit on the wall and if they saw an invading army come, their job was to responsibly as a messenger tell the people what they needed to know to be prepared to survive and to be able to experience the best possible they could. And if the watchman did that, he was innocent if the people didn't listen. He was innocent of the blood if they chose not to listen because he discharged his duty faithfully. If he didn't, the guilt was on his head. So Paul says, look, I I was faithful. I shared with you all that I knew and all that I could to help you to make the best decisions possible. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. Verse 27, he says, for I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He said, I didn't avoid giving to you everything that I could of God's counsel, the entirety of God's counsel. And again, perhaps it could be, perhaps I think a reference to Paul teaching and expounding the entirety of all the books of scripture, the Old Testament that he had up to that point. Maybe even some of the New Testament letters that Paul had at his disposal teaching the wholeness or the entirety of Scripture, the promises, the warnings, giving the whole counsel of God that was available. And I want to tell you, our goal as Calvary Chapel pastors at least is to do that very thing, is to teach the whole counsel of God. And question, where is the whole counsel of God best found? Best I know it's in the Word of God. That's the entirety of God's counsel from Genesis to Revelation and the intention of my heart and pastors like-minded like myself is to give people the whole counsel of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter through every book, the entirety of the scriptures, fruits and vegetables, things that are enjoyable and things that are hard to chew and swallow because we need a balanced diet. And we need the word of God in context. And that's how we, when we teach systematically, we give people God's emphasis on each topic and each subject in a way that helps people to be healthy sheep. And and I'll tell you, one of the greatest ways that we all can have godly influence upon people, whether a pastor like Paul or just a person who loves and serves Jesus, do you want to have great influence on people? Let me give you one final thought. Give people God's word. Give your children God's word. Give your friends God's word. Give your family God's word. Give people the counsel of God's word. Not your counsel. The counsel of God's word and let that have its impact and influence on people's lives. Would you stand with me?